Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Jeff Lukens, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Here's the deal. I've got quite a bit of lard on hand, and I thought I'd just find a great lard consumer to bring to the air and talk about eating big old pies made out of Berkshire lard. Jeff Lukens, do you qualify? (laughs) Well, I qualify for eating them, but I don't qualify for making them. So uh, we have a pretty good relationship going in my house. Yeah, I'm looking for eaters. Uh, Well, you're looking for, you got the right guy on the radio then. If you uh, look for eaters, that'd be me. From Sioux Falls, South Dakota, retired high school teacher, currently working for Texas Instruments. Texas Instruments, you mean like those calculators I had when I was in grade school? Wait, they didn't let us use calculators when I was in grade school. (laughs) And and you know, Trent, you know why they didn't let you use them? Because they didn't have them when you were in grade school, probably. (laughs) They didn't have them when I was in grade school. I know that. We were using using a pencil and paper in our noggins back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's called real learning, actually. It, yeah, it, well, depending depending on your perspective and your strategies, pretty much anything can be real learning if you think about how to do it, right? So just have different tools, and, and uh, you can go a little deeper with different tools. But I agree with you. There's still something to be said for grinding it out. And how many years did you teach high school? About 35 years in uh, in public school almost all of it in sioux falls south dakota hmm. and science math Taught science yeah my main area was biology uh i delved into chemistry a little bit just because when i was a, a young teacher uh, in order to this is back in the in the late 80s when there was not a uh, glut of teaching positions like there is today and mm-hmm. My department, my department chair back then, I was a biology teacher, said, I mean, he's a good guy, but he basically said, you either teach chemistry or you're gone. And so I'm like, well, I think I'll try chemistry then. So I uh, taught that, scared to death, but it, it sure made me a better biology teacher because I, I learned an awful lot of biology by teaching chemistry. See, you don't, need a cal- my- you don't need a calculator for that deduction. Either teach chemistry or you're gone. I mean, it's kind of easy to come up with that equation. That was called a coin flip right there, and, and uh, thankfully, the coin the coin landed in the on the side of reason and, and of um, having a job to feed my family, so I took it. You, you mentioned something there, Jeff, that I wanted to expand upon. You said there was not a glut of openings back in the day. How many? How big is that glut of openings for teachers of all kinds today? Sadly, well, teachers of all kinds, Trent, I'm not sure there's mm-hmm. a lot, but there are teachers in, in certain areas. Um, there are, you know, we've heard in the last several months prior to this pandemic anyway, there's more jobs and there are people to fill them. And toward the end of my career, I was a science department chair, and it was very, very difficult to find uh, a, a good science teacher. When I first began as a science department chair in the early 90s, we, we'd have 15, 20, 30 applicants for one job. And toward the end of my career, uh, seven years ago, we might have three or four. And um, so science and math, the uh, number of job openings, if you're a science or math, aspiring science or math teacher and you want to get a job, you're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that's both good and bad. It's good for the job seeker. It could be bad for the job market because sometimes quality gets watered down a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I came out of college, this is expanding a little bit on what you said, I put out, I mean, we didn't have, speaking of gadgets, we didn't have copy machines and computers back then. So that kind of right. gives you an idea of the time frame. I sent out over 250 letters to schools and I got three interviews. And it was a different time. This is back in 1980. But right. today, you know, if a kid wants to go into to education, um, they're going to get a job. And they may not be able to handpick their job, but they're going to come close to being able to handpick it. And, and I suppose the challenge is it's I'm most familiar with ag teachers, and I work with a lot of ag programs all across the country that they can't keep it. So the kids come out of school, they get an ag teaching job, and within five years the really good ones have got somebody dangling $120,000 to come and work and sell some gizmo or gadget or pharmaceutical. I suppose the same thing is present for all teachers, particularly science, biology, and even math teachers. That's exactly right, Trent. We, in my opinion, um, we have a higher education system that is not encouraging kids to go into education. Mm-hmm. In fact, if a kid shows an interest in science and or math, especially math, they get jumped on pretty quick and get steered toward engineering or get steered toward some other uh, profession where, just like you said, the, the money thing is huge. I mean, I, and I don't blame them. But uh, it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we continue to steer kids away from the classroom as far as being professional teachers in the classroom, then what kind of quality are we going to get when they do get up to higher ed? I mean, there's a this is a trickle-down or trickle-up effect that has been going on for a long time, and uh, I don't see it ending. Um, so that makes me admire and really respect young people who go into teaching even more than I did 20 years ago because – that carrot is getting fatter and fatter and fatter that's getting dangled in front of them. And the education carrot is still one of those little baby carrots you buy in those packages, you know, that are already peeled down for you. So I, I don't know what the other side of the pandemic looks like. I don't know if it's a real pandemic. It is a pandemic because businesses and lives have been affected. But what I do know, Jeff, is that every business is going to do things different. And on our zoom school board meeting the other night which i'm not a member i try to be a vocal participant in each meeting as a parent and taxpayer i i shared with them that you know this is taught it should have taught every school system that bricks and mortar is not the ultimate answer in educating kids and it seems to me like this maybe came along this situation came along at a time where at least it gave a pause to all administrators can we teach high quality education uh with fewer number of quality teachers is that a fair assessment uh i think that's a yes i do think that's a fair assessment i also think it's a double-edged sword because if we go to in my opinion and i'm an old guy i mean everybody Mm -hmm. knows now that that i'm a little more of a traditionalist when it comes to education uh, you, you walk a real fine line between quality and convenience and, and expediency and budgets. And so, sure, if you say, well, we're going to take Trent loose and put him 
with a uh, a group of kids remotely teaching online, let's give him 500 kids. He can handle that because it doesn't matter how many kids. You right. And sure, that's going to save a boatload of money. But I, I really believe like, there's one thing that, that is missing in this remote learning, in my opinion, especially with anybody K-12, and that is the relationship building that happens in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And you can't really get that when you are teaching somebody via Zoom or Google Meet or whatever. Um, the relationship building is something they can't teach you how to do in school. They can't tell you, hey, go into go into your school and, and build relationships with people. It just happens naturally. And that there's a huge amount of education there. When, when you help kids understand what it's like to get along with each other, we're seeing the result of not doing that in, in the last two weeks here in this country. So um, there's the double-edged sword is, yeah, that, that is really cost-effective. That may be with the 21st century kind of thing. That may be relevant. But I also think we're, we're sacrificing an awful lot of things if we do that. Yeah, you know, the common theme that I have on this program every day is it's a network, and I've developed this network of people. You know, what I learned in school, I didn't learn addition, subtraction, and history. I learned how to net with, network with people so that I learned how to do subtraction, addition, and history. And that's what you're telling me. We cannot devalue that aspect of the human interaction in the learning process. Absolutely. Kids and adults. Kids are going to learn naturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they everybody has a lust for learning, but they also need to have support systems. And they, because so often that support system isn't there at home anymore. Thankfully, where you and I live, it tends to be a little bit more of a um, solid support system. But just having relationships, not only with adult teachers but also with each other. I mean, I can't even imagine being a fourteen-year-old kid and not being in school with my buddies. Yeah. And that is that is a huge piece to this that nobody ever talks about. Everybody talks about the X's and O's of education, but they don't talk about the relationship that happens when you uh when you're in a school setting with the people that are your peers. I got a 17-year-old that you met that talks about it every day. She's a social butterfly and she's not taking it well. We'll take a break. Jeff Lucan's my guest. 35 years teaching high school more teaching us after this the stand at paxton county the movie on netflix that i strongly suggest you watch it's about what animal owners are facing today the stand at paxton county on netflix welcome back to roll route trent loose alongside jeff lukens joining us from sioux falls south dakota where he is envious of every non-South Dakota resident because he happens to have the best governor in the nation at the moment. I told my governor that again yesterday. Uh, So, uh, Texas Instruments, what are you doing today? Uh, Actually, actually, that's a funny question because really nothing right now because... So this is like a Consequently, you can join me on a roll route and pontificate for an hour. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm good at that. Yeah, I can, you know, you're finding out, too, the older you get, the more opinions you have that nobody cares about. So that's kind of how I operate now. But really, with, with uh, Texas Instruments, uh, in my 
in the perfect world of Texas Instruments, what I do is travel all the time. And uh, my travel is typically air travel. Mm-hmm. And air travel involves hotels, and hotels involve rental cars and all that. So right now I've been grounded, essentially, since the middle of March. Um, but with, with Texas Instruments, I do a variety of things. And most of them are not glamorous, but most of them are right up my alley. And, and a lot of it, probably 75% of what I do is go into schools and help teachers and students use Texas Instruments equipment right on the job. And so I model for them. I mentor them. I do some co-teaching uh, with the teachers and uh, try to show them how this stuff can make their teaching world uh, not different, but maybe a little bit more efficient and a little bit better for them. Enhanced? Is that the word you were looking for? Enhance their teaching? You know, all those all those buzzwords that are used in education. Enhance, engagement, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I enhance it and, and try to convince them that if they do take the bait on this, it's not going to make their life more difficult. It's actually, actually going to make their life uh, smoother. So... I really like that. We needed to get to that answer. My question was, <laughs> what are you doing today? Meaning that every kid and person has a calculator on their phone. What is Texas mm-hmm. Instruments doing? That's a really great point, and I get that question a lot. Let me let me talk about the, the structural part of this. The phone, uh, like an iPhone, mm-hmm. is not allowable on standardized tests. So, for example, Lindsay, I don't know if your daughter Lindsay has taken the ACT yet. I assume she she might have. I know she's probably taken some state tests. But we have these high-stakes exams, which are ACT, SAT, the AP exams, and so on. On those exams, touchscreen devices are not allowed. So you can't use an iPhone on a high-stakes test. You can't use an iPad. And so uh, I know that I'm getting into details here, but so the TI calculators that students use in their classroom do not have touchscreens on them, which makes them allowable on a standardized test. So the idea is, as long as the testing service doesn't allow those touchscreen devices, these calculators and this these this system of learning and system of, of math and science is still going to be relevant because a kid has to have some kind of a device to take the test with. So Texas Instruments is still making calculators is the moral of the story. Oh, yeah. they And, you know, I, I'm so naive, Trent, that when I first uh-huh. got into this a long time ago, I thought that's all they did. Right. You know, I mean, I thought yeah. Texas Instruments was, like, there for my benefit, like making calculators for my, my classroom. <laughs> I've come to find out that is not what they are really? all about. They. That's about 1% of their entire business model. Um, They do an awful lot of stuff, and and I can't speak intelligently to any of the other stuff. I just know that pretty much any computerized electronic device that you use, from your car to uh, any tool that has a computerized device in it, TI's got chips in there. Really? So, like all the backup, all the backup cameras and all the cars nowadays. I don't have one of mine; it's too old. But Me uh, all of that's TI stuff, you know. So, my naivete was was kind of a I was kind of a laughing stock for a while because I thought, hey, that's pretty cool that all they're doing is making calculators for kids. But that's not what that's not their big business. My pickup, I'm just lucky if I can see forward out of it, let alone a backup window. 
Yeah, seeing forward probably is more important. So you know that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, I often use the analogy that your windshield looking forward is great big, and the rearview mirror is just this tiny thing to give you a glimpse. And I put that into an analogy of how you should live your life. Always look forward. Once in a while, glance into that rearview mirror. That is so true and so uh, profound, as usual, Trent. But I also will say, a TI has nothing to do with your windshield, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own with that one. I'll bet there was some calculation made with a TI instrument to be able to make that windshield the right concave perplex system or whatever. <laughs> I'll buy that. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one, sure. Yeah. So obviously based in Texas? They are. Their headquarters is in Dallas. Uh, they have a they have a few other um, mini headquarters around the country, but Dallas, Texas, is sort of their mecca, and they have quite a presence in Dallas. I have been had the opportunity several times to go to the uh, the mothership, as it were, and spend some time there, and um, that really gave me an idea of how puny the calculator part of the the business is together in dallas texas it's not my intent to make this sound like a texas instruments uh infomercial but i'm always intrigued by the origins of a company and how they evolve or compared to where they started Mm -hmm. do you know how it started yeah they uh no but i do know no because you taught biology not history I taught biology, not history. I didn't teach electronics. I, frankly, I didn't care back in the day. But uh, I know there was a guy, his name was Jack Kilby, I think it was, and he actually uh, developed the entire integrated circuit system. Now, I, I, I'm saying that because I know the words, but I don't even know mm-hmm. what it is. But yeah. integrated circuits allow for those circuit boards, and he developed this and he was a Texas Instruments employee. Uh, he developed this back in the uh, in the fifties, I believe. And from there on, I mean, it just skyrocketed. And and uh, from there, it took TI into the international and sometimes uh, intergalactic uh, realm because an awful lot of TI stuff is also used in space exploration, apparently. Oh, I mean, they tell would... me this stuff. They, they might be lying to me, Trent, but yeah, I'll but believe it. Yeah, but that makes total sense to me that that would be a huge part of space travel. Total. I mean, everything is computerized, everything, you know, not not just the uh, the launching stuff and the maintaining the mission, but even when the, the astronauts are up on the space station or whatever, uh, all of that stuff has to be integrated circuits. So I would think that they'd have a presence there as well. Huh. Actually founded in 1930 but it was 1951 that it hit its stride um, mm-hmm. after the reorganization of the Geophysical Service Incorporated system. There you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, no, yeah. I know, and I'll, I'll, no offense, but I'll forget that in an hour. But uh, <laughs> well, you won't forget what's relevant. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah. For me, that's a good point too. I mean, you do you don't forget what's relevant, and that's a great education mantra. You you remember what's relevant to you. And, uh, you know, I used to ask, I'm going off on a rabbit trail here, Trent, but at, at the beginning of the school year, every year, I'd ask my, my parents who would come in, you know, to meet the teacher and all that, uh, what do you remember about your biology class? And without fail, 
I never had an answer other than this. And this was this was over 20 years. Every single person said they remember dissecting a frog. Oh yeah. And I Absolutely. said, "Why do you remember?" Yeah, I said, "Why do you remember that?" And they would just kind of give me these blank stares. I said, "I'll tell you why I remember that. It may have been in your biology class. It may have been the only thing you actually did hands on the entire year." And what a great lesson that is. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to model my teaching after that. Have the kid experience stuff. They're not going to forget it as easily as they will if you just tell them. Mm-hmm. So the significance of 1951 is that the Texas Instruments, under secret government contract, got the contract to monitor the Soviet Union's nuclear weapon development program. Oh, my gosh. I had a feeling there was a really cool story behind the origins. And uh, fortunately, I've got a friend called a phone. (laughs) That allows me to dig that up. Jeff Lucan's my guest. We will continue to talk about Education 101. 35 years he was there. He's still there. Just not getting a paycheck from the same school every day. More after this. I want to talk a moment about science of another kind, genomic science. You know, the days are gone when we wonder what the genetics might actually be for particularly our food animals. Now people are doing it for pets, too, for another reason. And Neogen is involved in all of this. But we look under... The covers, so to speak, we look at the genetics, the genetics, the genomes, genomes that are present to give us positive traits or possibly stay away from those that are negative. Looking at the genes is the bottom line, improving the health, the safety, and the overall well-being of our food animals. Neogen on the front line. Get more details about how you, too, might be a part of this genomic testing endeavor. We do it with our cattle. We do it with our pigs. You should check it out and see what kind of precision agriculture might be in your future. Neogen.com. Welcome back to Rural Route, second half of the program. Jeff Lukens joining me from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 35 years, retired high school teacher. Today working for Texas Instruments. Well, when things get back to normal. Things are close to normal in Sioux Falls. Uh, you know, Trent, we, and you living in Nebraska, you, I'm sure you can, you can agree with this and relate to it. You're even more rural than we are. Sioux Falls is a little bit more of an urban setting, but, um, we, we are so insulated from so much of the other stuff that happens on the, on the edges of our country. And yeah, we for sure felt the impact of this, uh, not back to normal thing, but, Life here pretty much continued the way it always has continued. And as, as soon as we got the go-ahead, everybody just – I saw traffic increase by about 10 times. And as soon as the restaurants opened, everybody just flocked in there. And so we do have quite a bit of stuff open open now. But, yeah, we're getting, we're getting back to normal. You mentioned our governor, and I know you're probably going to mention her again. She came under so much fire from so many people who don't know any better, and it's kind of showing. She's kind of showing herself to be uh, pretty solid when it comes to decision making. And basically, her decision was not to make a decision, and I love that. I mean, I thought that was brilliant on her part, and uh, that's why she was elected. She trusts her people to do the right thing. She's amazing. I'm I'm a huge fan. I happen to be. Um 
for a plethora of reasons talking to her and that most uh, well the biggest week i think the the biggest week that she was under fire was when the uh, plant the smithfield plant in sioux falls got global attention for shutting down and she, I, I talked to her a couple times that week and she just stayed steadfast on what the science said and she was going to make that be let people make the decisions but let science be the driver and Everybody was so critical of her. Now, every week, Jeff, I see somebody praising how smart and and rigid she was in the science. Well, you're not going to see everybody praising her because there's some people who are so jealous that they, you, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there are people who are like, in behind closed doors are like, why didn't we do that? And Governor Noam all along has said, this is up to the people. And I trust them to make the right decision. And you're right. She she got blasted. But e- even locally, she got blasted by a bunch of people who were operating out of fear. And she didn't. And she not only was she steadfast, Trent, she never loses her cool. I no. mean, she is just this steady gal. And I have had a chance to meet her a couple of times. And for those of you who... And there's people who are listening right now who are who still maybe question her some of her judgments, but what you see is what you get. You saw that you know that too about her. What you see is what you get. She is as genuine and as real a person as that you'll ever get. Anybody who shows up to work on a horse, I mean, you, how can you not like? Mm-hmm. How can you not like that? She sets a horse really well. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Um, so. Back to teaching. Uh, yes, where's sir. this going to go? Because, I mean, I wrote down your, your, I like to write down what I consider to be profound statements, and I wrote this down. If we continue to steer kids away from teaching, what are we going to have left teaching? That's Jeff Lukens. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. at some point in time, there has to the, the alarm has to go off, right? And people, society as a whole, needs to say, Hey, what is more important than teaching our kids after the parenting aspect? Mm-hmm. Is that wake-up call coming? Um, I don't want to answer that too quickly because, you know, there's the hope and then there's the reality. I uh, let me give. I'll give you a. You, you talked about history in 1978, which. I don't even know if you remember that track because you're such a young guy. But in yeah, 1978, I remember 1978. Yeah, I remember sitting down with my college advisor, and he asked me what I was going to do, and I said, "Well, I want to be a teacher." And the reason I wanted to be a teacher is because my high school biology teacher completely lit my fire for for biology. So I told him I wanted to be a teacher. And here, I will never forget this. And this is over, what, 45 years ago. He said to me, why would you just want to be a teacher? And I have never forgotten that. And if I ever, I'm not even sure if the guy's still alive, because we did kind of have a parting of the ways. But I thought, why would you not want me to be a teacher? You know, the college I went to prided itself on getting kids into medical school. And so that you don't get a lot of public praise from people when you send kids to education school. You do get a lot of public praise from people when you send them to law school and med school and all that. So he was like, 
taken aback and, and offended that I wanted to be a t- teacher. And I said to him, so what you want is for high schools to send you people who aren't well prepared. Is that what you want? And that was sort of the end of our relationship at that point, because if we don't send, I don't want to say send, if we don't encourage young people to go into the field of education, what is that going to mean for the college level? And I'll never forget that time. So what does the future look like, Trent? I don't know. I, I Back to this money thing, the dangling of the money carrot for a kid to be an engineer or a physician or, or uh, something like that is huge. But the teaching profession is so much more about relationships and making an impact than it is about money. I know that there are teachers and there are teachers' unions that say, you know what would solve the problem? More money. I have never really seen that solve any problems in our country. And I don't I don't know the answer, but I, I do know that I know what the answer isn't. And that that isn't it. I'm not saying don't pay teachers, don't respect teachers, don't do this with teachers, but I'm not saying that you know, if we double every teacher's salary, is that gonna make them better? Is that gonna make more kids want to go into it? I don't think that's gonna happen. So the value that is placed at higher education, the value that's placed on having kids become educators has to shift, in my opinion. Otherwise, again, that's, we're the proverbial shooting yourself in the foot. And what are we going to do? Where are we going to get the, the people to send, send kids to college? Well, I think you just walked us through the answer because in all things we are inspired or discouraged by the people that we hang with. And and you had an individual who lit a fire under you to make a difference and be a teacher. And I can think about, you know, my own ag teacher. I, I didn't truly appreciate Barry Edson when I was in high school. And uh, point blank, remember, graduated from high school, and I knew that I was going to be a farmer for the rest of my life, so I wasn't going to waste any more time in college or anything. And he set me down and he said, Trent, you're going to get this American farmer degree if you don't do anything else. It's just, And I saw no point in filling out all this paperwork to walk across the stage and be given a plaque. And now I'm 53 years old, and I recognize that the day I walked across that stage, it was because somebody believed in me and went out of their way to inspire me to do something. And mm-hmm. it's it's inspiration like that that we provide to another person or receive from another person, and that outweighs the, the revenue. Oh, I, I should ask that question because I wonder if this generation is different, if it, if that has changed, and now it's more about the money. I don't truly believe that. I think that we try to make it be more about the money when it's really about where we started, the relationships and who's inspiring you or discouraging you from pursuing something. No question. I mean... I don't know if money keeps a person in a job. I mean, if I, I know if I were pulling down a half a million dollar salary in something that I just dreaded, I don't know how long I could last in it. And I think one, that's one of the, and your girls are of this age, Trent, where you're seeing this probably, and you, you might see it with your oldest. I don't know. I know you, you shared with me some things about her career, but this is one reason why the the generation below us, if you will, is restless. 
in my opinion, and why they change jobs so often, because they're looking for something that's going to offer for fulfillment. And I'm not sure that the money part is what's going to offer them fulfillment. And they have to learn that on their own. I don't think you can say to a 23-year-old kid, mm-hmm. you know, money's really not the answer. When that 23-year-old kid is saying, oh, yeah, really? I mean, that's a huge motivator for them. So they kind of have to find that out on their own. Whereas our generation, um, I, in my entire career, 35 years, I taught in three schools. One of them was because of, the first one was because they gave me a job and I took it. Right. The other two were right here in Sioux Falls, and the second the second one here in Sioux Falls because they built a new school and I went to that new school, but it was right here in my district. My wife just finished two weeks ago. She retired 40 years in the classroom in elementary school, and she taught in a very small number of schools. Whereas today, I mean, I work in schools where literally teachers are moving from school to school every single year looking for something that they're never going to get. And I don't know what that something is, but um, so that brings, you know, again, another rabbit trail there. But the contentment in knowing that you're making a difference and knowing you're impacting people's lives has sort of taking a back seat to, hey, look how much money you can make if you do X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's the next profound statement I've got written down. This generation is restless. I think that summarizes it better than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've been, they've been conditioned to be restless. I'd be restless, too, if my entire world was checking 10, 15-second feeds on my phone mm-hmm. or watching 30-second news snippets on CNN. I mean, I'd be restless, too, and I'd be nervous, mm-hmm. and I'd be uptight. And I'd be have little hope. You don't get your news from TikTok. <laughs> you know, now that you brought that up, no, I don't. But but uh, <laughs> but I'll let you expand on that when we get back. <laughs> All right. I thought it'd Thanks, be a conversation man. killer. Instead, it has inspired a whole new level of thought. We have one segment <laughs> left. Jeff Lukens, my guest. More after this. Speaking of genomics, that's how we know that our calves are sired by the Piedmontese bulls from Lone Creek. That is what it takes to qualify for the certified Piedmontese program. The genomics for myostatin gene tied to the DNA of the Piedmontese bulls must be present. It's not an expensive test through Neogen. You make that happen, and then you qualify with all of the other parameters. But the bottom line here is the breed itself has been selected to be calving ease, high performance, and pay dividends. Bottom line, who in the beef business doesn't need something profitable today? Go to LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Ask for Marlon Well. Get full details about being a part of the future of the certified Piedmontese program. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Jeff Lukens joining us. 75 years teaching school <laughs> in his house. Thank Not you. yet, but I'm getting, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. No, I'm combining you and your wife. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, she, she kicked my fanny. She had five more years than I did. In elementary school, too. I mean, yeah. you talk about you talk about commitment and... That's perseverance right there. And hard work. Just hard work. Teaching high school is easy compared to teaching elementary school. 
Yeah, because now elementary school teachers not only need to be teachers, they have to be parents and disciplines too, disciplinarians too. They do. Yep. Uh, TikTok kind of let you up. <clears throat> it just drives me insane that, and and I have at least one girl that watches TikTok a minute video that tells you nothing. Mm-hmm. Most of the media we're exposed to right now tells you nothing mm-hmm. other than to be nervous and be scared. And um, I was going to say right before the break, not that this matters to anybody else, but my life took a really huge turn for the better about six weeks ago when I said to my wife, I can't watch TV anymore, so I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. I can't listen to talk radio anymore because I can't, I, I don't like what it's doing to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't. And, and, and yet here you are on talk radio. Here I am on talk radio. So uh, you completely got me off the wagon. <laughs> this is the kind of talk radio I like. I'm talking. So, um, Perfect. But it's, uh, I don't know if a, a, a child who is the age of your daughters understands what they, understands the impact it's having because that's their entire world and it has been for a long time uh, or for their, most of their lives. Whereas you and I remember the day when there were three TV channels, you know, or maybe less, I don't know, or there wasn't in, instant access to information. And so that restlessness and that impatience is a real thing with, uh, with young people, but no, the TikTok stuff, the, the Instagram and all that, I just don't participate in it. I mean, I, I do hang around on Facebook. I'm mostly a lurker, and I've also decided on Facebook that everything I post is going to be positive, mm-hmm. even though that's really hard sometimes. So I tell stories, kind of like you do, only not nearly as profoundly as you do. And um, just to, to make the that site and make that platform better for people rather than making them even more nervous and more impatient, more ticked off. So that's kind of how I approach it. I I, I try to go about it level-headedly, but even this morning early I got caught up. I was having technical difficulties with uh, getting my live broadcast across the pond on, and I saw this Facebook story about Nancy Pelosi ripping up the Bible, and it made all the sense in the world to me, and it ticked me off because I was uh, multitasking. And so I shared it with some comments. Well, it wasn't long, and fortunately I have friends that said, Trent, this is satire. And it just irritates mm-hmm. me to no end that you, you find something that you like, and yet you have to investigate it like you're the FBI to make sure that it's credible before you share it, because there's nothing worse than sharing false information. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. And yet that's and, the world that we live in. Absolutely. And discerning what's true and what's what's false is almost impossible sometimes. We Well, look at what's happening on the national level. Right. All of this stuff that people thought was true for three years, now we're like, hmm, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. it was exactly the opposite of that. I'm you, not going to uh, go any further. We have, you mentioned uh, some friends who are ag teachers. We haven't really talked about ag, not that we need to, but your perception of agriculture today. Uh, I'm grateful. Uh, 
more grateful the older I get to the ag community. Uh, I have a lot to learn about the ag community. People like you are really helping me learn about what real agriculture is all about. And, you know, I think the cows and plows thing is uh, how most people think about it. And um, I have my eyes open to what real ag education was about 15 years ago when I started working with some ag teachers with TI, with Texas Instruments, in uh, Delaware and um, expanded a little bit to a couple of other states. But uh, I have never been with people who I enjoyed more than the, and I say that in all sincerity. That, you know, you can go to any school nowadays and you can find teachers that you really don't care for. I didn't have one ag teacher I worked with. I worked with a couple hundred of them. I didn't find any of them who I wouldn't want to sit down and have coffee with. They were awesome. And the kids loved them. And you talk about practical education. You know, there's a, there's a, big movement that's been going on for a while. Nobody seems to be able to get their head around it, but everybody likes it. It's called STEM. The ag teacher is the STEM teacher. I mean, you guys have been doing that since the onset. And um, agriculture education, one of the things I learned was how few people are actually in production and how many people are actually in the background of, of ag, of, uh, ag production. So, you know, I can't speak intelligently to Ag Ed, but I do know that they were some of the best teachers and some of the best people that I've ever been around. You, you've witnessed both ends of this emphasis um, for years. I was like, I thought I was the lone wolf. Obviously, I wasn't. That um, we have forced every kid to go get a bachelor's degree, maybe then even a master's. And if you really want to be educated and prepared for life, you'll get a PhD. And all parents, I'm a product of the 80s, graduated high school in 1984. My parents, fortunately, were not like that. They left it up to me. I chose not to. And now it's the pendulum has shifted where everybody's finally realized you can't get an electrician, you can't get a plumber, you can't get a contract guy can't get anybody that knows hand-on skills and technical schools are resurging. How do you put all of that mm -hmm. into context? They're resurging in a huge way. We have a, a two-year school here in Sioux Falls that was really struggling for a long time to, mm -hmm. to, and, and people were using it as a stepping stone to get a bachelor's degree. You know, they'd go there for two years and get a, LPN degree or something like that, and then they go to uh, get a four-year degree. You know, uh, not to not to do a little name drop in here, but I think one of the people who's been most instrumental in getting this shift to take place is Mike Rowe. No doubt and about I it. And I don't, I mean, he. I've never met the guy, but I read everything he writes, and I listen to him whenever I have an opportunity, and he has beat the drum for this and i i don't know you know if he, he hasn't single-handedly helped mm. people turn the corner but he's also brought a sense of reality to this saying look you want to make money you want to get a job you want to not have a huge amount of debt here's an option for you and i just think he's been a godsend for the the uh, students in our uh, students in our country i can imagine the higher ed people hate him because you know their their gravy train is people who are not prepared or qualified.
qualified to go to college, still paying to go to college. So speaking of that, and, and Micro, absolutely, I think single-handedly has turned a corner for everybody in society on that. But along those lines, uh, I've got one girl graduated from Texas A&M, the out-of-state tuition, which she didn't pay, but she found a way through scholarships to pay for the entire thing, did not spend a dollar of her own money or our money, scholarships 100%, but it's $58,000. I have literally sat in recruiting sessions with Lindsay, who's now looking at colleges. She's going to be a senior this year. And they will tell them in their recruiting, well, it's going to cost you $32,000, but we're, we found a way to get this paid for, that paid for. It's almost like as if these higher education systems know that they'll charge whatever they want to and then assist in finding the money to offset that. I just see that as problematic, Jeff. I see that as sleazy. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can say that on the radio, but it's, I I see that as dishonest Mm -hmm. and I see that as bait and switch. And I see that as, oh, you want to buy a car? Well, here's the base price. Well, oh, you want a radio too? Okay. So that's this. And you you get the idea behind that. And I, 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 if you would have told me, even 20 years ago, the Texas A&M or any school would be pushing $60,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm speechless, and I'm in education. I went to college, and we, I've had, we have three girls as well. Maybe that's why we get along so well, because we've all endured having three uh, daughters. All I haven't yet. I haven't yeah, you have yet. To, yeah. You've got a ways to go. But you'll make it. But And all three of ours went to... Uh, private colleges, and uh, two of them are have no debt right now. One of them still paying a little bit, but you know we worked hard to to get them there because that's where they wanted to go. They wanted to go to private Christian colleges, and so that's where they went. And they're all productive and all that, but still, I look at the cost of that, and I'm like, really, is that is that where's the cost benefit in this? But I can look at a two-year college and have a, and see a kid come out without any debt, and come step into a job where they're making sixty, sixty-five thousand a year in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I'm like, hmm, that may not be a bad option. Yeah. Final thirty seconds. Your profound wisdom to take us home today, Jeff. Uh, from the education standpoint, keep believing in your kids. Parents have a greater role than the teacher. Uh, if you don't believe that, look what's happened in the last several years. Look what's happened in the last two weeks. I think the uh, the breakdown of the family has been has been a real burden on this country. And the, those of you who are hanging in there with your kids and with your families and are committed to it, thank you for doing that because we as teachers could not do it without you. That's the perfect parting wisdom. Jeff Lukens, my friend from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route. 
And finally, today I want to remind you that we support rigorous science in our dietary guidelines. The Nutrition Coalition has all of the science to push, and yet nobody's listening. Arm yourself with facts about proper nutrition. Nina Teicholz and her team at the Nutrition Coalition have put it together. Why won't people listen? Go there. Get more details. Support the cause. Tell your friends and neighbors about proper nutrition. Nutritioncoalition.us. And yes, beef is a vital part of healthy living including seed-certified Piedmontese beef. Nutrition Coalition knows nothing about that, just saying.